Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J and I have a quick favour to ask. Well, two really. First, if you could download this episode of Crimeland, I would be eternally grateful as this is what counts towards podcast charts. Who knew? And also, if you have enjoyed this episode, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could take the time to rate or review it on iTunes. And can I just give a quick shout out as well to the gorgeous, gorgeous people who have reviewed the podcast so far. They have just been the nicest reviews ever. Thank you so much. I haven't quite worked out how to respond to people yet, but I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. A quick disclaimer as well that absolutely no offence is meant to any of the people discussed in this episode. This week, I'm talking to the man who impregnated me. What? <laughs> Fred Cook. <laughs> about the death of Judith Barcy. for doing this Fred you're very very good oh sure look I just happened to be in the house anyway you were in the yeah. house anyway yeah you were so this one I, I'd say I know you're not massive into the true crime no no you look at the lighter side of life don't you yeah there's many a comedian who stole my gigs and I see that as a bigger crime than anything else <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to well, do an episode of that I, do you know it is general crime it's not always murder so maybe I could do an episode on the wrongs you feel have been committed yeah. against you in comedy yeah. terms the truth will come out soon enough yeah. it'll be like that episode of Father Ted and now the liars <laughs> yeah so we'll do, <laughs> we'll do an episode like that don't worry so this story um, it involves Hollywood child star and it, uh, I'd say with this with this case, you probably haven't heard of the girl at the heart of this case, but you'd be familiar with some of her work. So I'm just going to get straight into it. How does that sound? Let's go. 
<laughs> that sounded a bit of an origin there. Okay, yes, thank you. So Judith Partsy was born on June 6th, 1978. I don't think you weren't around in 78. What year? No, I was just, I was born in 1980. So I was just a protein around the place at that time. You weren't, I wasn't even, weren't I wasn't even, even a sperm. Not even a sperm, I'd say, at that My stage. parents was on, oh no, my parents had met at that stage, like, so... <laughs> So it's definitely you thought of it. You were definitely, they were thinking about it. Yeah. They were like, will we do it again? Yeah, let's yeah. go. So Judith Percy was born June 6, 1978 in California to Hungarian immigrant parents, Maria and Joseph. So Maria had met Joseph at her work when she was waitressing in a bar and was impressed by this rich, confident man. She had grown up quite wealthy in Hungary. So she was quite middle class, whereas Joseph had grown up poor and he had had like a difficult childhood with a lot of bullying, particularly because it was a single parent household so his dad hadn't been around which was very unusual at the time so as a result Joseph had really low self-esteem and this kind of stayed with him for life Uh, so when he fled Hungary he went to France then he went to New York then he went to Arizona and he eventually settled in LA where he met Maria the two got married really quickly so it was a bit of a whirlwind romance he really charmed her from the get-go. And they got married in 1977. And shortly after the wedding, Maria discovered that she was pregnant with Judith. So they got pregnant very quickly as well. So Judith was their only child, but Joseph did have two other kids from a previous marriage who were living in a different state. So Judith was a really kind, incredibly sweet little girl. She was a real girly girl who loved Care Bears, Cabbage Patch Dolls, the colour pink and sunflowers. The first half of their life, uh, of her life, they lived in a small apartment, but then they moved to a bigger home, which was, which was much more comfortable. So Maria herself had always wanted to be an actress and was really fascinated by Hollywood, but obviously... At that point, it was probably a bit late in her life to be embarking upon that kind of career. She was married. She had a kid. She was essentially a housewife. Joseph had made it clear that he wanted her to stay at home. And Marie was quite happy with that arrangement. So he went out and worked and she was kind of a homemaker. So she felt it was probably, you know, a bit late for her that the ship had sailed. So instead of focusing on her own career, she focused on Judith's potential career. So she kind of projected her ambition onto Judith. And during the day from a very young age, she began training Judith to be a star. So she helped her with her acting, her dancing, her posture. And like, it would seem like she wasn't like a dance mom kind of thing, because it would seem that Judith really Mm. enjoyed all this. So she loved performing. She was a lovely, like little extrovert personality. And she was, you know, really into it. Would you have been? Would you have been kind of encouraged into the performing? I don't arts know. I was thinking age? that. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, I can't. Do you know? I don't think. I don't think like mom or dad. You know, taught me how to tell jokes or like taught me how to dance. Not to say that I'm a professional dancer now or anything like that, but you know, uh, but no, it, was that, it wasn't ignored. You were an entertainer, though. I and was. You're, you're yeah. Family, yeah. Your, your family are very into the arts. I think. Yeah. As a good friend of mine says, uh, I think what helped me was the town. Uh, good friend Gary Arkin says that I was e- I was easily encouraged. <laughs> it didn't, you it needed didn't, minimal encouragement. It didn't, yeah, it didn't take much in the middle of the day to be to be on on the table of a school dancing. You know, so. moonwalking. Who said that when you were doing dancing with the stars? And somebody was like, "Oh, my first memory is you moonwalking." Yeah, on yeah, the was, roof. yeah. That was my that was For my stage. Yeah, yeah. It was teachers in primary school like that. Uh, Miss Miss Ennis, my first class teacher as well. Like. 
shows oh, no you know really, uh, moonwalking and stuff. You so. do anything as a te- I speak this as a for- I speak as a former teacher. You do anything for just ten minutes off. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, Fred, get up there and do your moonwalk. <laughs> you know the child who's always bugging you to do the party yeah, piece and yeah. you just want to have a nice mm. sit. You're like, you know what, mm. now, Fred, you take over for a few minutes. So yeah, so Judith would have been. She was a real little performer, and uh, so people were kind of quick to tell Maria that ch- the chances of Judith making it, obviously in Hollywood, were really, really small. But Maria always had faith in her little girl, and when Judith was five, she was spotted at an ice rink. Um, which I think is just, it's such an American place to be spotted, isn't mm. it? An ice rink. Yeah, definitely. It's it's our football pitch. <laughs> yeah, it's like down the gap pitch. So she was at the ice rink and they were actually filming a commercial and the casting director came over and uh, basically introduced himself and told Maria that Judith would be perfect for a commercial, another commercial they were doing, which was for orange juice. Not alone did Judith get this commercial, she actually got an agent that very day and then she got another yeah. commercial immediately after. So it just kind of happened yeah. in the blink of an eye. So by the age of seven, Judith was making over $100,000 wow. a year, which obviously was well, huge in the mid-80s. Oh my word! Mostly ads. So she, so she, they had moved into three bedroom house. The family, obviously, based on the fact that she was earning the big bucks. So she was doing a lot of ads for like companies, like peanut butter companies yeah. and McDonald's. She did a good few McDonald's ads as well, which would have been big bankers. And she was also doing a lot of TV. So her first TV role was in a TV ser- series called Fatal Attract, a Fatal Vision, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was like this kind of true crime uh, TV show. And then she also had roles in, do you remember St. Elsewhere? Yeah, I remember the name. Yeah, St. Elsewhere, Punky Brewster, which I don't think that I've ever made it over here. Growing Pains and Cagney and Lacey. Oh, yeah, so Cagney. Doing all, yeah, so yeah. she was doing all the big shows. Um, her biggest roles then would have been in film-wise, would have been in Jaws the Revenge. Oh, so yeah. she played Second the little one. girl of Phoebe. Yeah. And she was in that, and that was obviously huge for her. And then she had a few, so like you might not necessarily remember her face, but you would definitely remember her voice because she had voice acting roles in two of my absolute favourites from the 80s, which were The Land Before Time. Do you remember that? Yeah. With the dinosaurs. So she played the role of Ducky. And then no she way. Was, yes. And she was also in, well, like, I mean, this is such a tearjerker. She actually played Anne-Marie in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Not really. Not as much that one. You see, you weren't a dog household. So no, I don't know if yeah. you would have watched All Dogs Go to Heaven. We were very much a dinosaur, <laughs> dinosaur household with the previous information. <laughs> you were more into the pet dinosaurs. <laughs> but, like, if you had a dog and you watched that film, I mean, honestly, yeah. you'd be a puddle after it. It was just, because that's the name was suggest the dog ends up going to heaven yeah so it's just it's a really it's a real tearjerker one so she was in those which were obviously huge and as i said she did a lot of ads now she was actually really really small for her age which worked to her advantage in hollywood so she was aged five but she could cast for younger um so she could do like maybe you know three-year-old parts yeah etc which you know it's 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 a tough thing to learn in hollywood that like at the age of five even then you need to play younger but she was was playing younger and at one point she basically just she never really grew she was teeny at one point she was put on hormone treatment but she she still just stayed really really small and even at 10 which is hard to believe she was playing roles of five and six year olds because she was just so small 
Um, so herself and Maria were traveling the world for her career, which was around the time that Joseph became quite bitter and resentful of his daughter's success. He started belittling Judith and being really mean to her. So kind of putting her down. Yeah. So like putting her down, putting her back, back, back in her box. And the neighbors had always had kind of a funny feeling about Joseph because the first thing he did, they moved into this really nice neighborhood in LA. And the first thing he did when they moved into the house was to put this really huge, like unsightly six foot Mm. fence with like Mm. spikes on it around Mm. the house. So straight away, you're thinking, why would you do that? Because this is like a really safe neighborhood and they just didn't get a good vibe from him from the start. So his drinking had also become a lot worse as Judith's career was kind of progressing. He was becoming more and more unhappy with the situation. So he was arrested on numerous DUIs and he'd come home. He'd be really unpleasant to his wife, Maria, and he'd kind of verbally take out his frustration on her, tell her that Judith was nothing but a spoiled brat, that kind of thing. Um, And then Maria was shocked by his aggression, but Joseph did have forms. So his old friends in New York would say that he had always been one to get into the bar fights and getting really aggressive with drunk when drunk. So when he had left Hungary, first of all, he had gone to France and he had married another Hungarian lady called Clara. So they had moved to America together and they had had two kids. And again, gradually it had become an abusive relationship. So Clara had left Joseph as a result of his violence and verbal aggressions. And as a result, she moved back. She moved to Arizona with her kids on her own. But Joseph had actually followed them and begged for a second chance. And when Clara refused him, uh, Joseph got extremely violent, threw a cast iron pan at her face, leaving with with a huge black eye. So he was not a good guy, is what we're saying, just not a good guy. So it was at this point that he decided, okay, I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to reinvent myself. So that's when he started coming into this bar where Maria worked and he kind of was selling himself as Mr. Confident, loud, wealthy, um, so Maria had been impressed by him and as well she in terms of her own story she had experienced physical abuse from her father so she was probably kind of slower than most to pick up mm. on these signs of abuse or you know if you're kind of used to that you kind of view this as normal yeah um, so it did get worse the abuse as is so often the case with these things so at one point Joseph took Maria to the garage and showed her cans of gasoline telling her that if she ever tried to leave him he would burn the house down and kill her he also threatened killing himself and Judith leaving Maria on her own which of course would have been Maria's worst fear Joseph missed major moments, including Judith's eighth birthday. And when asked, Maria said Joseph had stayed home to get drunk. Maria was very open with her friends about the abuse and how constant it was. So one of the things that kind of came from this was that the fact that like Maria never made a secret of what was Mm. going on. And actually Judith was very open with her friends as well about what was happening. But I guess it's one of those things that, you know, when somebody talks about something enough that maybe normalizes it. Yes. So even though the friends were aware like they, it was not a big secret. I think because they talked about it so much, they didn't really take this as mm. a serious threat because it just seemed to be a constant. And mm. um, so again, in December 1986, when Judith was eight, Maria made her first police report against her husband. So she told them that she had been punched in her face, but the police deemed that there was no evidence of this, so that there were no marks mm. on her that would suggest that. But either way. 
when the police landed up to the house, Maria made the decision to actually drop all the charges. So Joseph at this point decided to stop drinking. But strangely enough, you would think that would put a stop to the abuse. But the abuse kind of got worse in a way. And he got more controlling when he stopped drinking. So he would do things like always open Maria's post. So on one occasion, she got this letter from Hungary telling her about a family funeral. And he actually hid it from her because he didn't want her traveling without him in case she didn't come back. So he would do things like that. And again, like in terms of the abuse, Judith was still working. She was still going to school, but at home, it was just made for a very unpleasant atmosphere. This week's episode is brought to you by a brand new podcast, What Do You Want to Know? What Do You Want to Know takes your curiosity as its inspiration. Every episode features an expert answering questions posed by you about specific topics. They'll talk about everything from how sign language works to whether viruses are alive to what a 5G network really is. You can also suggest topics for future episodes so you could finally get the answers to what you want to know. I've already forwarded my picklers. Like, why didn't Mark Tinder text me back in 2009? What does the T stand for in BLT? Where is the button to turn my fog lights on? Listen to What Do You Want to Know to find out the answers to these and other mysteries of the universe. Now, Judith, meanwhile, went to school every day, as I said, and kept on working. Around this stage, Judith's friends were increasingly aware of what was going on. And they were also quite afraid of her dad because they witnessed him kind of just being really Mm. mean to her and calling her names all the time. So as the as the months went on, Joseph's abuse kind of, I suppose, was getting it was getting worse. But also he was directing it more and more towards Judith. Judith. So on one occasion, he threw her to the ground and gave her a bloody nose. And then he bought her a pink TV as an I'm sorry gift. So just really, really awful. And when she was nine, she was in her room packing for a work trip. So she was actually going off to Barbados to film Jaws the Revenge. So she was super excited and she was packing her little suitcase. And Joseph had come into the room when she was packing her suitcase with a knife. He shut the door And he said that if they didn't come home after the filming, he would kill both her and her mother. So he was getting more and more explicit with the threats. And I think his his big fear was that they would leave him because Mm. he just wanted Mm. total control. So when they were in in Barbados filming the Jaws film, she could only do a few hours filming a day because she was a child. So she actually had a really nice time hanging out on the beach. And uh, Maria spent a lot of time with the women on set. And again, Maria was opening up to the other women who were really concerned for her when they found out what was going on. They were telling her to go and start a new life. But as time went on, the women kind of gave up trying to talk her out of going back to her husband because they said after the fact that they felt maybe it was kind of a boy crying wolf situation, that she was exaggerating it and looking for attention. So they kind of, I suppose, maybe started ignoring her a bit and just not taking it seriously. Because of Maria's fears of going back, Maria made the decision that they should stop off in New York at her Maria's brother's house on mm. on, the, on the way home. So they stayed for a few days and somehow Joseph found out that they were no longer in Barbados and he called Maria in New York and asked to speak to Judith, reminding her of the conversation they had before they left to film in Barbados. And the next day they were on a, the first plane back to L.A. Crazy. Yeah, so really awful. So Joseph had also, so as if he just wasn't like the worst person ever, um, 
to start with, just to make things even worse, to compound it all, he'd also started seeing other women. So he had like numerous other girlfriends. He'd buy them gifts. He was in like proper relationships with them. But he still refused to leave Maria and told her she couldn't leave him because he would kill her. So Maria kind of came up with this plan where she was like, okay, if he won't let me leave, I'm just going to try to make him divorce me. Mm. So she stopped caring for herself physically. She stopped making herself pretty. She stopped showering. She stopped looking after the house. So the house was a complete state. So she stopped cleaning the house. Um, she let the dishes pile up, like just to make it as like unpleasant as possible in the hope that he would leave her. But he didn't like he, he he continued to stay married to her and at this stage obviously the neighbors were really concerned they offered a place for maria and judith to stay but again maria didn't take them up on mm. that and insisted she wanted to stay in the house because that this was her house and she wasn't willing to leave it so judith began obviously poor old judith was really really suffering in this situation so she began gaining weight and pulling her eyelashes out, of course, which is a sign of severe anxiety. And she was just clearly very distressed about the situation at home. And it got to the point that in the All Dogs Go to Heaven audition, she actually burst out crying and she couldn't speak. So the poor little thing was obviously having a full on panic attack. And her agent was with her. What age was she then? She would have been. So she would have been nine at this stage so her agent was with her and realized that something was really really wrong so the agent got judith into session with the child psychologist straight away and within an hour they had rang child protective services to say that this child was in a really dangerous situation so they brought maria in and maria told them everything she was very open about what had been going on but she reassured them that she was divorcing Joseph and had rented an apartment for herself and Judith to move into. So this apartment she had had for a couple of weeks and she taped Judith there during the day as yeah. like a safe haven. So the social worker believed her and dropped Judith's case. So Maria was really encouraged by everyone to go ahead with this plan. So on July 10th, 1988, she packed up some boxes and she was taking them to the new apartment, but she didn't realize that Joseph had followed her. Crazy. So when she started unpacking the car, Joseph stormed up and confronted her, but Maria was able to calm him down and convince him that she was just helping a friend to move into the apartment. But obviously that compromised the apartment because she said, oh, I can't move there now because mm. if we move out, he'll know where to find us. And at this point as well, she kind of had a change of heart in that she felt reluctant to leave the house because she was like, Judith is the one who's earned all the money that has bought this house. So she shouldn't be the one to have to leave. He yeah. should be the one to have to leave. So as a result, she kind of had second thoughts about leaving because she Judith had worked so hard, mm. had earned all this, and she didn't really want to walk away from it and leave it to Joseph. So at this stage, Judith was spending a lot of time in a family friend's house, and she was there most days. And on this one night in July 1988, she had said she didn't want to go home because her dad was always threatening to kill her mom. But again, the family friends just kind of thought these were empty threats yeah. that you would throw out in an argument. So they kind of said, look, it's probably just, you know, it, it, he probably doesn't mean it in that mm. way. And they weren't alone in that because even Joseph had told friends he was he was always telling friends he was going to mm. kill Maria. And on one, on one occasion, one of the friends, a guy called Peter, had asked him, 
butcher, if you kill Maria, what about your daughter? Think yeah. of Judith. And he said, well, I guess I'm going to have to kill her too. And again, nobody thought that this uh, he was going to yeah. follow through with this, even though he was just very open about it for so long. So on July 12th, it had been a normal day. Judith um, was 10 years of age. She turned 10 in June. She'd spent the day cycling around her by on her bike and the weather was lovely. She went home, had her dinner, went to bed. And that night, Joseph had been watching TV. He got up um, as they were sleeping, mm. got a pistol, went into Judith's room and shot her as, as she slept. Poor thing. Isn't it so awful? Desperate. Desperate. So Marie had heard the bang and she ran out, ran out of her room. And obviously, so I mean, you can imagine like the mentality of someone who can shoot their own daughter as she sleeps. They met in the hallway and there was a struggle and Joseph shot Maria in the head. So he pinned her to the ground mm. and shot her in the head. So for the next two days, he continued life as normal. So he went about, he went off to work, um, had breakfast, lunch and dinner. They remained and still in the same place. The bodies were in the exact same place. So Maria was in the hallway, Judith was in the bed. So the following morning after she had been killed, Judith was supposed to be in a recording session for All Dogs Go to Heaven. When she didn't turn up, Judith's agent called the house. Joseph answered and told her that a black car had actually come to pick Judith up that morning mm. and he hadn't seen or heard from them since. So mm. that he didn't actually live in the house anymore. He didn't have any other information, but that they had gone off in this car. So two days after the murders, a neighbour was in their, her garden when she heard an explosion from the Barracy household and the neighbour called 911. The fire department arrived shortly after and assessed the situation inside the house. They found three bodies, Judith, Maria and Joseph. So there was gasoline residue everywhere. It was mm. very, very clear how the fire started. Um, the explosion turned out actually to have been a gunshot. So Joseph had shot himself with the small pistol he had used to kill, the same pistol he had used to kill his wife and his little girl. So when the news broke, Hollywood was obviously super shook. So it was huge news. And one thing which a lot of the news articles did cling to at the time and really hone in on was the fact that Judith's first TV role, Fatal Vision, actually had detailed the story of a former US soldier who kills his wife and two daughters. So people were saying that it was a bit strange that there were those parallels there. Um, and obviously Marie and Judith were buried together. Surprisingly, which is very surprising, you know, given the fact that she, uh, like Judith, was really a rising star in Hollywood and she had done so much that neither of them had a headstone for 16 years. Why not? Well, it's it's a strange one. So they didn't have a headstone. And essentially, the way they got a headstone 16 years out of the fact um, was fans became aware that they just had this like unnamed plot for, yeah. the, for oh, this mother and this sad. daughter. So then the true crime, so kind of true crime fans and then fans of Judith Barcy, they kind of crowdfunded and they got them matching headstones. So at least, you know, they got mm. them that. But I mean, very disappointing that it took so long for them to get it. No one even in Hollywood or that area. Yeah, and it's very strange because she was had been filming all dog well, yeah. recording all dogs go to heaven when she died. So you would think that they might, you know, get involved yeah. or do something of that nature. But 
they did. I mean, I suppose to be fair to all dogs go to heaven. The film was released in November. So the, obviously poor little Judith had died in July. So the theme song for, to that film is called Love Survives. And that was written for and dedicated to Judith. Mm. And obviously in the aftermath, Child Protective Services came in for a lot of criticism. Um, but I mean, it did come down to the fact the reason they kind of didn't take the case further was they were just super overworked at the time. And it just came down to one social worker making one bad call and something. Yeah. And the house where the murder suicide took place has since been replaced with a new family moving in and currently mm. living there. And that is the story of the death of Judith Barcy. It's very sad, yeah. isn't it? Um, very, very sad. And so, look, at least, uh, at least they did get the headstones in the end. Um, but just a really tragic, a tragic case, and especially when the abuse had been so open, and the fact that she was so successful on a professional level, and she had mm. all this other stuff going on at home. It just is really, really, really upsetting. A sad one. Yeah. Very, very sad. Just shows you, I mean, even 80s Ireland that, uh, you know, people say a lot of abuse, violence was, the, the, the whole town would have known about it, but no one acted on it, really. Yeah. It was general feeling on it. You people know, it, didn't want to get involved. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Very, very sad, yeah. And I think as well, like, being so familiar with those couple of films, it's kind of hard to come back to them without thinking about yeah. that awful story in the background. And during that whole time, she was going through such stress herself. Like, yeah. As a nine-year-old to panic uh, and uh, at an addition, like, it's just destroyed her. Yeah, and it sounded like she was really hysterical in that moment. And, I mean, she was just such a small little girl. It's very, very sad. Um, and that is the story of Judith Barcy. Fred, thank you so much for being with us today. Not at all. I'll be here for the next few years. God I forbid. say this. I say this like you're not. We're not going to be in the same room for the next three hours. I want my people to think we've got a studio. Okay, so thank you so much, Fred. I'm just going to go on. clean the pool, honey. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We want to find you. You're on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, Twitter and Instagram. Fred Cook, you'll find me. Well, that's Fred Cook, not Fred Cook. Thank you so much, baby daddy, for doing this. Um, we, I have a feeling we'll chat real soon. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Judy. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.